Welcome to the Exceptional Measures Podcast. Join us for the next short time where we talk about all things church ministry and biblically-based leadership. And now here's your host, Dr. James M. Welcome to the Exceptional Measures Podcast. Join us for the next short time where we talk about all things church ministry and biblically-based leadership. And now here's your host, Dr. James M. Well, hello and welcome to the Exceptional Measures Podcast. I am your host, Dr. James McGarvey, and I am back with you for episode two of our brand new Exceptional Measures podcast. What is Exceptional Measures again? It's a law term, meaning anyone that takes alternative measures for normal results when there is a justifiable reason not to take the prescribed measures. So we're doing the best we can with what we have to get the best results, even if it's not always the most conventional way to do that. So thanks for joining me again. Thanks for hanging out. Hopefully you enjoyed listening to episode one, our inaugural episode that came out last week. And on this broadcast, for this season, we're going to be talking about the 10 characteristics of servant leadership. And all of our notes, all of the scripture references, everything that we refer uh, on the podcast actually comes from our servant leadership book, and that's available on Amazon. It's called Servant Leadership, the Foundation of the Church Safety and Security Life Cycle. And so uh, that is a book that I did research and I put together. And so I'm, I'm going through it this season on the podcast uh, because I want to share some of the principles with you and hopefully encourage you as it has me encourage and exhort. So uh, we'll jump right into it on this broadcast today. And again, um, if you have any comments, feedback, you, you'd like to us to talk about a particular topic or reach out to us, please feel free to do so. Our website is churchsafetyguys.com, and you can uh, connect with me through there. And I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on this information, this content. And, uh, and if you have suggestions or ways that we can improve it, we are all ears, and we would love to, to have your feedback. Likewise, if you're if you're listening on a podcast platform, uh, please feel free to like and subscribe uh, so you get regular updates when the new episode breaks. And uh, feel free to review it. Uh, give us five stars if you would, and also pass it on to somebody that maybe might be encouraged by the content for that day. That would be an amazing blessing for us as well. So today I want to talk about the second characteristic of servant leadership and the second item in the servant leadership model. And that characteristic is empathy. And of course, last week I kind of alluded to it a little bit, but empathy and last week's topic was listening really go hand in hand because not only do you need to listen to, as we talked about last week, but from being empathetic from that side of it, oftentimes we lose that having the empathy is really the hearing part, like not just taking the information in, but absorbing it, mentally um, mentally digesting it, 
and trying to have the best attitude and come come to the best realization of that information that you were presented. So Webster defines empathy as the action of understanding, being aware of, or being sensitive to the thoughts or experiences of another person, past or present. And again, if you remember, one of the things I said last week was that you don't necessarily have to agree with that person's perspective, but taking the time to actually listen and again, trying to understand and be aware of where they're coming from and their angle of uh, processing information and, and uh, the root cause of them processing information can benefit the situation. And, you know, we've seen, seen time and time again with this in de-escalation situations, whether it's in public safety, church safety, out in the community, if you can actually empathize with the individual and understand where they're coming from, oftentimes that can remove um, hostility from the situation and make the situation better, not only uh, for you from a protection standpoint and keeping you safe, but also for that person to be able to express maybe what others haven't been able to understand in the past. So the Bible is actually full of scripture references about being empathetic. And uh, the first one that comes to mind is Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Uh, Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12.26 says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And then the example, you know, we always try and tie everything back to Jesus's example because he had the perfect example of servant leadership during his ministry on earth. But in Matthew 9, uh, chapter 9, verse 36, it says, when he saw the crowds, and this is talking about Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And, you know, that really describes and a situation describes and maintains a situation where Jesus had compassion. Jesus had empathy for the individuals that were coming around because he felt like they were lost and he felt like no one paid attention to them. And if you remember, the folks that he did pay attention to uh, were not the uh, not the elites of the time. They were not the rich. They were not the well-off. They were the individuals, the poor, the people that just couldn't quite measure up. But what was interesting, and we talked about this a little bit last week, but what was interesting to me in researching some of that is, again, Jesus was never hurried in his ministry. Any, any point in time in the New Testament, in the Gospels, where we see him interacting with someone, whether it was to help them with you know, a, a health issue, whether it was physical, spiritual, or mental, he was never hurried. He took his time. And he always donated and gave 100% of his time in the present to that situation. And what an amazing example of empathy. 
you know, I mean, if you think about that and you think that Jesus was never hurried, like anyone could talk to him and would never feel like uh, they were second best or maybe, uh, you know, people respected him, but they didn't feel talking to him like he didn't have the time. And, you know, I joke around sometimes but about it, but whenever I go out, uh, oftentimes I'll go out to lunch with a friend of mine or, um, you know, if I'm at, at my office at work, I'll go and grab lunch with a friend. And it's always amazing to me how sometimes people um, will, while you're talking to them and, and you're eating lunch or whatnot, more relaxed environment, people will pick up their phone, right? And start scrolling through it. And I have intentionally made it a point to not do that and to be in the present talking to the individual that is actually having lunch with me. Because I think that adds value to the conversation and value to the engagement. When you're distracted by doing something else, that demonstrates that you were not being empathetic. You're not being understanding to what that person is saying. And so we struggle with that a lot as as a society and as a culture because we're constantly on the go trying to constantly do things different and um, you know get things done in a fast-paced, you know, electronic culture. But the truth of it is that if we actually remain in the moment and focus on the moment of the information that's being presented to us by the individual that's presenting it, oftentimes we can be empathetic and we can develop those habits of empathy to understanding and listening and listening with engagement uh, is really empathy. So Philippians 2, and this is this is the last passage I want to share with you all. Philippians 2, 20, or I'm sorry, Philippians 2, 2 through 4 says, uh, the Apostle Paul is talking about uh, this, and he says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so the Apostle Paul is talking about there how we do need to be concerned and we need to be empathetic and understanding to what other individuals are going through and make an effort uh, to connect with them. So the example that I want to give on this uh, on this podcast today uh, was an example from quite a few years ago when I was on the fire department. And um, I think it was probably three or four in the morning. Uh, I was woken up uh, out of a sound sleep by my fire department pager going off and, uh, you know, certainly making a lot of noise. So I, I stumble out of bed trying to put, you know, clothes on, grab, grab outside clothes, grab a jacket, um, put my shoes on and uh, go up to the fire station. and. Uh, as you know, as I'm stumbling out of the house and getting into my car to drive up there, and I'm just half asleep, and you know, rubbing my eyes to try and adjust to the dark, you know, the light, and then the dark darkness outside. Um, 
I pull into the fire station and I'm I'm trying to listen to what the what the call is and find out okay what are we responding to here and uh, sure enough it was a, a motor vehicle accident and uh, they said at least one injured possibly two and so I pulled into the fire station pulled the ambulance out was waiting for another person um, another person said hey this is you know called on the radio and said this is so and so I'm responding direct to the scene so you can you can respond with the ambulance. So I'm, I'm thinking in my mind, oh, okay, well, they're going to meet me there. We're good. Wait a second. And then it connected. The address is literally about half a mile down the road. So as I was pulling out of the fire station, I could actually see fire trucks and police cars and everything from this motor vehicle accident. Um, and so I pull up uh, with the ambulance, the fire department, fire chief, Got me parked where uh, I needed to be parked, and um, it was it was obvious that when I stepped out of the truck, uh, it was obvious that looking back, it was a big mess. And what had happened was this was a full size Dodge pickup truck. Two guys had actually been drinking, um, drinking alcohol. <laughs> I'll I'll mention that. And uh, they were driving home from somewhere and went off the road, went onto the shoulder. And the guy that was driving, they were brothers. The guy that was driving um, overcompensated, turned the steering wheel back to try and get back on the road, went across the road, came back over, um, went across the opposite side, came back over to the correct side and completely went off the road at that point, lost control of his, his pickup truck and the pickup truck rolled over and, um, it had actually plowed into a stone wall and stopped. And thankfully no one was on the road at that time because it was so early and it's, it stopped. Um, it could have, you know, the vehicle, the truck could have gone into a house there that the area um, the roads in that area were very narrow and there were houses close by the road. So it's truly amazing that he didn't roll the truck over into somebody's house, but he rolled it over on the street once or twice and then plowed it into this stone wall. And I grew up in New Hampshire and New England, you know, a picture, a small, uh, my wife always says Gilmore girls community. Uh, but that's true. You know, we have the white Congre uh, congregational churches with the stone walls outside and uh, very picturesque of New England. And so he had plowed into one of these. Well, they couldn't get the door open uh, on the truck. And when I, when my eyes adjusted and I'm looking at the truck to see, okay, okay, this is what I need to do. We need to get the guy out of the truck. Let's get him in the ambulance. Let's take him to the hospital and get him checked out because this is a bad accident. I'm looking at the truck and I'm actually, you know, standing, standing there, uh, on the, on the street and the bottom of the truck is, you know, is facing me like, cause it's sitting on its side. So they're trying to figure out how to get these two guys, these two brothers out of the truck. And so, um, it took probably two or three minutes and the fire chief or fire captain that was there said, you know what, we're going to cut, 
part of the the roof off we're going to cut the roof of the truck off and lay it down and we'll get these two guys out and we have two ambulances we had a, a second ambulance arrive and he said you know each ambulance will take one person to the hospital so they they start firing up the generator uh, for the jaws of life and start cutting away at this truck um, and they put a tarp over the guys, the brothers, uh, to protect them from the glass and everything, but did an amazing job cutting the pillars of the vehicle and pulling the front windshield forward. So it was like resting on the hood of the truck. Um, and then they pulled the roof out, um, kind of turned the roof kind of into a sled. And at that point, we realized that was really kind of a good thing because um, both men were almost 400 pounds. And so one had fallen, the driver, when the truck flipped, the driver had fallen down on the passenger. So the two guys were on top of each other on the ground, but inside the truck. And there would have been no way that we could have pulled the one guy off of the other one because he was just too big. So we folded the roof out. We were able to get a stretcher under him, put him on the the gurney, put the gurney in the back of the ambulance. And one of the, the local police officers came up to me and uh, <laughs> he said, hey, you know, we believe alcohol was involved with this, this accident. I'm going to follow you to the hospital uh, unless you're not comfortable. And I was actually going to be in the back of the ambulance. Um, someone else was going to drive and I was going to give patient care. So I was going to check the guy out, make sure he was okay as we took him to the hospital. Well, the police officer uh, said to me, you know, I'll, if you need me, I'll ride in the back of the ambulance with you, but otherwise I'll, I'll follow with my car so that when I get to the hospital, I can complete the paperwork. We can have him do it, um, you know, a, a blood alcohol content test and record those results and go from there. And I said, you know, we're sliding the, the gurney into the back of the ambulance. And I said, you know, I said, I think we're good. I'm good in the, in the back with him at the moment. He seems kind of quiet. And I said, I'm not too worried about it, but if something happens, if, cause it was 20 minutes to the hospital, I said, if something happens, I'll have so-and-so who's driving pull over and we'll grab you and then bring you back to get your car later. And he said, okay, perfect. That sounds great. And he's like, Hey, Good luck, James. He's like, have a, be safe. He's like, if you need anything, I'm right here. So I said, okay, thanks. So I get in the back of the ambulance. We take off towards the hospital, 20 minute drive. And this, and no sooner did we start moving. And this gentleman on the gurney, as I'm trying to talk to him and, and take his blood pressure and do vitals and all this assessment stuff, he actually like tries to start sitting up and coming out of um, he wasn't really unconscious, but he was kind of like sleepy and he started coming out of it and getting extremely aggressive. And at one point he, um, he started trying to sit up and get leverage and then take his arm and swing it at me. And the police officer that was following us 
had given me a pair of handcuffs and said, if you need to use these handcuffs and, and secure him down to the gurney, you're welcome to use those. So I had a pair of handcuffs with me. I didn't really want to do that. But more and more, the guy started getting aggressive and trying to pull himself up. And this, this man, you know, I'm, I was 120 pounds. I'm 5'9". I think I was probably like 120 pounds. So I was extremely thin and small. Uh, I'm not that small now, but this man was over 400 pounds. And so, you know, he keeps trying to swing at me. And finally, I, you know, and I said to him, I'm like, sir, stop, please stop. I'm trying to help you. Um, but he, um, he, you know, basically, I want to say he hauled off and hit me because he didn't, but he pulled his arm back, pulled his hand back, like he was going to haul off and just totally clock me. And I saw it coming and he starts swinging his arm with 400, his 400 pounds of, of body behind it. And I could see that that fist was just flying towards my head. And so real quick, I'm like straddling the, the gurney because I was trying to take his, his um, blood pressure. Real quick, I, I snapped my back straight and stood up. And he missed my face. He missed my head. But he didn't stop himself because he was intoxicated. And his fist continued to go and came down on the other side of him and actually slammed into the steel railing that uh, was coming up alongside of him on the gurney. So instead of connecting to my head, he literally came across and connected full tilt, full power into this steel bar with his hand. And so when he did that, when he swung over, because he was right-handed, he swung right to left. So when he swung over, I grabbed his hand, his wrist, and pinched his wrist at the uh, pressure point. And when it slammed and hit that bar, I grabbed the handcuffs sitting there and handcuffed his hand to, to the bar. And so he hated that. Like he was howling, <laughs> you know, as soon as he connected, he just started howling like in pain. And I said, okay. And I, I held his wrist down after it was handcuffed uh, and I looked at him, I got in his face and I said, okay, Mr. So-and-so. And I said his name, I said, you're going to stop this or I'm going to get the officer behind us and he's going to restrain you. And he was like, the, the gentleman was like, no, 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 I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, and, uh, so I gave him an ice pack. I put an ice pack on his hand and I start, you know, doing his assessment and we get to the hospital and, um, there were a few folks at the ER that were like, okay, did he present with wrist wrist? And of course it didn't damage or hurt his wrist or anything, but there, they were like <laughs> the hospital. They were like, did he present with fist pain? And I said, no, that was something that he chose to add on to the list of ailments. So interestingly, both guys were so intoxicated and, and this is, this is why I hate, intoxication and drunk drivers. I just do not have uh, patience for that because I've seen, and, and many folks in public safety don't because they've seen things happen like this and it's just ridiculous. But these two guys were so pickled and had drank so much alcohol that they really didn't have any injuries. Like it preserved them 
and made them so loose and out of it that when they did all of this, it, it didn't really, they didn't really get injured. Um, and we see that in public safety in car accidents and stuff like that. We see that a lot. And you might've, you might hear about it. Like when somebody says, wow, that drunk driver walked away without a scratch and this person didn't. Um, because if someone's intoxicated, oftentimes they're so out of it that they just float with whatever happens and their body moves in the vehicle. And it's not as hurtful as it could be to someone that instantly tenses up, uh, or prepares for it or tries to brace for it. So anyhow, it was an interesting experience, interesting night. I was able to give the handcuffs back to the officer and I thanked him again. And, and he just kind of chuckled and laughed because he saw the report that, you know, the guy had hurt his fist, but he was like, well, you could have stopped me and I would have, I would have come on, you know, I would have gotten on the ambulance. And I said, no, that just wasn't necessary. He was cooperative after I handcuffed him to the, the gurney. So how does that apply? Well, th thinking about it, honestly, um, you know, at times it's not easy to be empathetic and certainly in, in public safety, people do stupid things. And there were times when, especially in that situation, I mean, he brought that, that situation on himself, like he and his brother were drinking, they caused that and they caused a lot of damage and a lot of people, um, you know, needless interaction and woke people up at four in the morning for their stupidity. Um, but all in all, when you're, you know, when you're in public safety, when you're responding as, you know, as an EMT or firefighter, or you're doing that. And in this case, I was volunteering um, because I wanted to give back to my community and I, I really enjoyed doing it. There are times when you don't want to be there. There are times when you just don't want to be nice to somebody. But just because you don't want to be nice to somebody doesn't mean that you can't understand where they're coming from, or it doesn't mean that you can't be empathetic and take the time and control your reactions and control intentionally control your attitude so that you can respond to them in a God-honoring uh, way that doesn't, again, doesn't necessarily agree with the conduct or the actions, but it gives a level of understanding to their mental, physical, and spiritual well-being to try and help them and almost create a therapeutic situation because you're actually engaging with them and you're listening and trying to apply understanding to that listening. So food for thought. Thanks so much for hanging out with us and for listening. Uh, again, take a moment, review our podcast. If you're listening on Anchor or Spotify or one of those platforms, give us five stars. Uh, reach out to us if uh, we can help you with your ministry or, um, you know, if you want to email us and tell us about your thoughts on the, on the podcast, that would be great too. Our website is churchsafetyguys.com and we'd love to hear from you. And until next time, take care. Be exceptional. God loves you. And thank you for joining the Exceptional Measures Podcast. Take a moment to like and subscribe and consider leaving us a five-star review. We hope this discussion was beneficial to you. Until next time, know that you are exceptional and that's how God measures you.